Hello and welcome to Shibe Sports Presents. This is Johnny Good Times. We have a treat for you. Today we sat down with uh, just a guy who's just got some of the funniest and best stories uh, from the early days of the NFL, uh, from the 1970s in the NFL. I mean, he's just been on the scene forever. Uh, that's Upton Bell. His father was Burt Bell, who of course was the uh, co-owner and found, co-founder of the Philadelphia Eagles in the 1930s, though, as you'll soon learn, it was actually Upton's mother who was uh, largely responsible for the Bell family going into the football business. And uh, we had tried a couple times uh, on Facebook to, to do it on video, and it was a little bit choppy. So then we moved over to Zoom and actually got it a bit better. So uh, just going to carry that portion of the interview Right now, if you want to hear more from uh, Upton, you can go to our Facebook page. You can find the videos there. Like I said, the video, the audio quality wasn't quite as good, so we wanted to give you better audio. So we just included these parts here. But it's a really fun interview. Just a wonderful gentleman. Just uh, really uh, kind spirit and, and just some great stories. So I uh, hope you enjoy. Uh, once again, be sure to check us out online, shibesports.com. Follow us on all the uh, socials at shibesports or Shibe Vintage Sports and uh, enjoy the interview. Thanks, guys. All right, welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Shive Sports Presents. My name's Johnny Goodtimes, and I am uh, once again hanging out uh, with uh, the man, the myth, the legend, Upton Bell. Uh, his father, Burt Bell, was a co-founder of the Philadelphia Eagles. He was, uh, uh, Upton himself, was uh, the youngest GM in the NFL at the time he became GM of uh, the New England Patriots, who I believe had a different name back then. So we'll, we'll get into all that. Um, we want to kind of pick up where we, where we left you off, which was the, uh, uh, we had just talked about Kenny Washington and how, um, how much of an impact uh, that had on the game and how his, uh, how, how his father uh, helped make way for, for Kenny Washington to join the NFL. Uh, before we go into your career a little bit, I did want to ask you, I know in addition to your dad being obviously a uh, legend here in uh, Philadelphia, uh, your mother was actually, I believe, a Broadway performer. Uh, and a vaudeville performer in the 1920s, is that right? Well, I, yes, and, and uh, because of Francis Upton, where I get my first name, <clears throat> there is a Philadelphia Eagles, because the story behind that is that she was in high school. I was working at Macy's in the perfume department, and a talent scout for the Schubert Theaters came by and said, you're a very beautiful young woman, have you ever been in any type of show business? And she said, well, I, I dance ballet, but that's it. Ironically, four years later, she was a star on Broadway. She was one of the major uh, actresses in America at that time, particularly late 20s, early 30s. And basically she appeared with Eddie Cantor. She introduced the song Making Whoopi in America. Ruth Edding, she was, was a, a great friends with and was in shows with that. And actually was engaged at the time, Johnny, to basically the son of one of the richest men in America and an advisor to Franklin D. Roosevelt. And uh, she actually broke her engagement with him, uh, basically because she, she had met my father at a party in New York, actually where Lindbergh was. 
and uh, they began to, you know, kind of date somewhat off and on. He invited her to Philadelphia and to the Rich Carlton, and she played the Rich Carlton roof in those days. And the Rich Carlton's right on Broad Street in Philadelphia. In those days, I mean, the 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 many of the actors and actresses played the roof of all these famous hotels uh, around the country when they weren't working on Broadway. But she had become such a big star that that actually she was offered a contract to go to Hollywood, and she did for a couple of years. Did not like it, but you can actually get it on YouTube. Frances Upton in the movie Night Work, which was one of the first talkie movies in the '30s. So any, anyway, she broke her engagement to Bernard Baruch's son, who was Roosevelt's closest advisor, and eventually married my father. Now, basically, his father had stopped giving him money. I mean, he coached at Penn after his, his uh, a career in, in college football, where he threw the first pass in Rose Bowl history for the University of Pennsylvania. And so what happened was, that, you know, he would go to Saratoga Racetrack and that's where he met Art Rooney and he met George, actually George Marshall and Tim Mara, eventually owners in the NFL. And he would sometimes lose $100,000 in a night and, and make it back in the next couple of nights. And so his father had lent him money. And in 1929, the stock market crash, he lost it all. And his father, his father said, no more, you know, no more, that's it. So when he went to buy the Eagles in 1933, he went to his father first and his father said, no money for pro football. He said, college is the game, forget it. In comes Francis Upton, they get married secretly. Walter Winchell who was one of the biggest uh, columnists and announcers in the country, announced that they got secretly married. She came to Philadelphia. They had to get married outside the church officially because she was Catholic and he was Protestant. They marched down the city hall, bought the Franklin Yellow Jackets out of bankruptcy with Francis Upton's money. 30, I think it was $3,300. On the way back to the hotel, up on a big bulletin board, I think it was on Broad Street, was Franklin Delano Roosevelt's The National Recovery Act the eagle. And my father said, that's it. And that's how, again, by chance, that the Philadelphia Eagles were named by Burt Bell and really Frances Upton. She, she was amazing. I will tell you this brief story about her. She actually had met Capone. She, you know, in those days, they, they would take the show on the road. And Ruth Edding was her roommate. Ruth Edding, for the people that might have been old enough to see the movie with Jimmy Cagney and Doris Day called Love Me or Leave Me. Uh, he portrayed Mo the Gim Snyder, uh, who was a friend of his and, and of theirs. And basically, she and Ruth Edding were on the road together and they were in Chicago and they actually slept with guns under their pillows for fear that Mo the Gim Snyder would actually come in uh, in a jealous rage and shoot them. Hard to believe that, but that's that is a true story. They wow. eventually they eventually went to a party with Capone and noticed that their backs were to the wall, and Capone's cronies were all backs 
to the, or basically, yes, their backs were to the door and Capone's was to the wall. I mean, there's so many fabulous stories about her, but bottom line, Johnny, she, he's the reason that the Eagles are the Eagles. Yeah, that's unreal. Uh, so, uh, so your your father is is uh, coaches for the Eagles for a while does does not have a particularly successful NFL coaching record. All the things worst, he accomplished. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, well, I was watching ESPN, ESPN about a year ago, and uh, they they came on with the the worst records in in the history of pro football. Burt Bell leads the class, which I absolutely love, and I think. Being, you know, suffering through those years of, you know, nobody going to the games. Uh, he actually fired uh, one player at halftime. He had decided that, that he, uh, he would do anything to survive. But he was, he was a terrible coach because he had terrible teams. And, and basically, that's the reason he invented the pro football draft. But he, he had decided, I've got a gate attraction now, so... <clears throat> I'm going to have a guy by the name of Alabama Loser Pitts from Sing Sing Prison. I'm going to sign him and announce it, and hopefully we'll get a big crowd that day. <laughs> and and uh, they didn't have a particularly big crowd, but he was so bad that my father walked down. He had relinquished the coaching duties to his partner, Lud Ray, and went down and he said, fire that bum. And they did. <laughs> they fired him at halftime. It was so bad, but that's how we, that's Johnny, how we ended up with the ingenious pro football draft. Right. Cause and, he was tired of finishing last place. Right. So he said, let's uh, even things out a bit. Went to the league meetings in 1935. And he said, gentlemen, we are only as strong as our weakest link. And he said, I happen to be one of the weakest links. And in those days to understand things, it was it was the the Bears, uh, occasionally the Redskins, the New York Football Giants, and actually the Green Bay Packers were were the were the ones that dominated pro football. Everybody else starved. He and Rooney and 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 a lot of other teams starved. And he said, you know what? We're going to go out of business if we don't do something. He said, here's my proposal: the pro football draft. And he got it barely, but he got it pushed through. And I think it might have been George Howells that said, you know what, basically I'm paraphrasing. If, if we don't do something, we're all going to, we're all going to sink here. So they passed it and in 1936, Burt Bell's first draft in his father's hotel, because nobody could afford anything else right on Broad Street, the Rich Carlton second floor, everybody at the blackboard, putting the names up. I think it went 12 rounds. No media ever showed up. The irony is today that they're selling for millions of dollars the pro football draft that Burt Bell invented right at that hotel. The press, nobody ever showed up. Uh -huh. two, two weeks later, I think it was the Philadelphia Record or Telegraph that, that announced the draft. Now, here is the irony of the draft, and I've always said this in two areas. One, the average life of a pro football player then and in 1946 was three and a half years. It's never changed. It's the same today. I always said, if you do near 50% in the draft, even today with all the computers and the IQ tests and everything else like that, if you're doing 50% or less, you're doing damn well. That first draft, no films, 
no video, no reports. Only thing was calls out to college coaches and, and some newspapers. I think Art Rooney went down to the newsstand when they had you know, eight or 10 papers and bought the papers and they looked it up and cut it out. And that first draft, three of the players went to the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Mm-hmm. And the fourth player turned it down, and that was Bear Bryant, the legendary coach of Alabama, who was a terrific player. So, mm-hmm. I mean, you, you just think about that. Right, and yeah. You, and, and you think about, think of them. I did an interview with the NFL Network when they held a draft in Philly. Think about that. Hundreds of thousands of people in, in the Franklin Parkway. Right. And the setup. I mean, look where it's come from. But basically, without Burt Bell, and, and I'm not saying it as his son, I'm saying history will show. Right. That the league goes. I didn't know this until a year ago. If you go to Canton, Ohio, certainly he was one of the first people put in the Pro Football Fame. But if you go right outside the original uh, uh, automobile place where uh, where Jim Thorpe and the owners in 1920 formed what was then the forerunner, but was the NFL, you'll see a huge statue of Burt Bell in the middle and two players on each side and the, the statue and the setup is all dedicated to the man who basically saved pro football. It's an incredible statue. You can go online and see it. Okay. Okay. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't know about that. Um, so let's, let's move ahead and let's talk a little bit about your career in the NFL. Obviously you came up at your, uh, uh, you know, at your father's uh, side and, and started your own, your own football career with the Colts, I believe. Uh, in the 1960s, and you were working for the Colts, and that's right around the time that Don Shula comes in as a fresh-faced young coach. Uh, what can you tell us about uh, meeting Don Shula, about working with him, and about what those early years of your career were like? Well, first and foremost, uh, the, the 10 years that I spent with the Colts, I, I came right out of college uh, to the Colts, and, and uh, ironically, we go back again, the past history. Uh, there was a young running back at the University of Pennsylvania that was dissatisfied with the coaching there when Burt Bell uh, was on that coaching staff, actually with John Heisman. His name was Carol Rosenblum. And Rosenblum had decided to leave Penn, and he wanted to go to Notre Dame with a player by the name of Marty Brill. And uh, my father talked to Malibu. He said, listen, your future is here. Stay here. That was in the middle 30s. Ironically, in 1954, to bring the Colts back to Baltimore after they had originally failed. He called his old friend and former halfback at Penn, Carol Rosenblum, and said, I'm only going to bring this team back to Baltimore, but I need somebody like you. The A has the money and the prestige. Rosenblum initially turned him down. I heard the conversations. And basically he talked Rosenblum into buying, I think it was for like $13,000. And, and he brought partners in and stuff like that. So when my father died, uh, suddenly at Franklin Field in 1959, Rosenblum, later on, he said, I promised my father that you kids, my brother and myself, that you could come here and work and see if you could establish a career. And that's what happened. But I originally worked for Weave Eubank. Ironically, Weave Eubank, Don Shula, and Chuck Knoll, who I picked up at the airport, 
I worked for three guys that went to the Pro Football Hall of Fame. <laughs> right. Four of us ended up being general managers. It was people can talk about even the Patriots today. They can talk about the Giants and and the particularly America's alleged team, the Cowboys. <laughs> no team sent more people in into general managerships and personnel directors in the Baltimore Colts. Myself, George Young who was my assistant in Baltimore with the New York Giants, essentially in the Pro Football Hall of Fame, Ernie Corsi. I mean, you name it, they came from the Colt organization. Mm -hmm. and, and it was amazing. But we view bank who won the two biggest games in NFL history, ironically, got fired. <laughs> and, and he wins the 58 Super Bowl. But right, I and that was the, the well, yeah, that was the championship game then. But that's the one again. Your father comes into the picture because he's the one that more or less invented sudden death overtime. If you look at absolutely, and again, it was pure and simple logic. He said to the owners at a meeting, he said, "You know what the hell happens if if both teams end up in a tie at the end of the championship game? In those days, the biggest game of them all was the Chicago All Star game." And basically, the pros needed uh, the exposure of playing in that all-star game. And, and in the early years, the all-stars won. Mm -hmm. and, he, and he said, we have a contract with the Chicago Tribune Charities. And, and he said, this is going to look ridiculous. What are we going to say? We're going to flip a coin to see the, who the hell goes? So he got that push through. And basically, we end up, and I was at the game, uh, with many people call the greatest game ever played. Oh, were and you then, really? Yep. And I, I, I was at that game, and Weeby Bank gave, I wasn't in the locker room, but I was told later, one of the greatest speeches, and Weeb was not a man of many words. And in that locker room, before the game, uh, these all end up be Hall of Famers. He said, gentlemen, we're going out and play the New York Giants today. I'm paraphrasing. And he said, uh, just look at yourselves. Gino Marchetti, nobody wanted you. Art Donovan, nobody wanted you. And he went right down the line. Most of the team were free agents. Mm -hmm. Four of them end up in the Hall of Fame. He said, today you can prove that you belong. And uh, I mean, there was dead silence in the room. Uh, and, and they went out and, and won. The, he said, John Yanninus, you're off the sandlots. Who the hell wanted you? Right. And, and it went out, and I can tell you, I will never forget that game. Actually, it looked like the Colts were going to run away with it. But mm -hmm. basically, I still say there are two players, actually three, that I would want in the last two minutes of the game. To, even today, John Unitas, Otto Graham, and Tom Brady. Killers. Mm -hmm. All three of them killers. Right. But, but, the, but, but the X, but the, that drive that United's put on, you had to be there, Johnny. Mm -hmm. You had to be there to see the cool, calm uh, United's. And even, I, I, I said this in, in my book, I said, if you watch closely, I, I have my binoculars on. The minute that he hands the ball off to Alan Amici, who Lenny Moore leads the block in and Amici goes across, you would think that to be, I, I mean, incredible. there was incredible pressure. You'd think there'd be great celebration. 
Unitas, as he wanted through his whole career, unlike these guys today, even even a sack is an orgasm. <laughs> is that 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 Unitas turned? People were mobbing him. Turned, put his head down, and walked off the field. Mm. One of the great. It was a Shakespearean exit. Right. See you later. Tough yeah. luck, boys. So, yeah. basically, anyway. We well, it was funny. It was funny because you you were saying you were giving that uh, Eubank speech, and you know what that reminded me of? It reminded me of Jason Kelsey's speech after the Eagles won the Super Bowl because that was almost the same speech. You know, he said, "Oh, that nobody wanted uh, Howie Roseman. We we got a coach that nobody else was going to hire. We they said that everybody said I was too small, and you know, he just went down the line. So it was funny to hear you give the Weeb Eubank speech and 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 think about the Kelsey basically doing the same thing uh, when he gave his speech after the Super Bowl. Uh, but yeah, I wanted to uh, uh, you know, I know you were with you went from the Colts, you became the GM for the Patriots at the time, the youngest GM in football. I believe at that time they were called, what, the Bay State Patriots? Well, I got off the plane for my press conference and I pick up the Boston Globe and the headline is, BS Patriots to move to Foxborough. <laughs> and I said, what the hell am I getting into here? <laughs> I, 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 that should have been the key to me being the youngest general manager to be hired to the youngest <laughs> general manager being fired two years later. <laughs> I said, oh my God, what a mess. 33 owners and directors. Uh, I mean, going from place to place to place. And finally, because they were moving to Foxborough, which made sense in some ways, although most teams retained their names. Uh, so I saw that, and I remember after the press conference, and, and the first question, I had to know it. The first question, Johnny, was, Mr. Bell, after spending 10 years with one of the greatest teams in pro football, winner of the Super Bowl a couple of months ago, why would you come to this sad franchise like this? Can you imagine that, <laughs> that <Right>. first question? <laughs> and, of course, I figured a way to deflect it. Mm. Uh, but, but basically... I went to the owners and I said, listen, we're moving to the middle of, of this five state area. Why not call it the New England Patriots? And I finally got that push through because all because the, the chief guy was Billy Sullivan and the Globe was making fun of him all the time. And basically it was BS for Billy Sullivan and BS for the other word. Mm -hmm. And so I said, you know, we can't be the laughing stock. So I pushed it through. And that's why you had the name the New England Patriots. But with, <laughs> with, with all the stuff, and ironically, I was able to hire, everybody I hired either end up being a general manager or a personnel director. I brought in a whole new scouting combine. I brought in a lot of different things. And, and, but what I saw is, and what is really important for anybody, even today, is I had talked to some people and owners in the NFL have said to me, I don't think you should go. But when you're 32, just turned 33, you think you can conquer everything, right. <laughs> which you cannot. You can't overcome inner, inner niecing warfare among owners. You can't overcome a lot of things. In fact, it will be the 50th anniversary of this coming August 
of the opening of what became Schaefer Stadium now no longer exists. And I remember the ironic words, the warning of the man who I brought in and to take over uh, the running of at least the stadium. And he said, Upton, when it's finished, it will already be obsolete. I'm saying, oh my God, uh, this, is, this is what it is. And it was the largest traffic jam that night in history in, in New England. So that's, that's I, I mean, it was just a forerunner of all the different problems that you have. And, and again, it, it recalls one thing that I've always said. There are only two classes in the NFL, probably in life. Either you're an owner or you're a renter. We're all renters. Mm-hmm. Right, got it. So, so you're with, with the Patriots for a couple of years. Uh, I guess that was, was probably pretty, uh, pretty rough time because like you said, you came in thinking you were going to you know, change the world. And after two years, things were still uh, kind of a mess and, and they let you go. And then, now this is something that I'm fascinated by, uh, the old World Football League came calling. And in Philly, uh, we did, we previously sold a shirt and believe it or not, it did pretty well. I don't think people knew the team that well, but the logo was great. And that was the old Philadelphia Bell. Um, I knew him well. Knew yeah. Him well. Yeah. And uh, yeah. And so uh, you were involved, I think, with the New York team and then you moved them to North Carolina. Is that right? Yeah. What, what happened was that basically the league wanted me to get involved in ownership. And I said, well, there are only certain places that I would go. I had spent uh, many years going in and around Charlotte, uh, North Carolina, when I was with the Colts, when I was on different scouting many meetings. But I was looking for a place that maybe someday if I was able to own a team, uh, NFL or whatever it was, what would be the, the great virgin territory? And I, it was Charlotte. So I talked to Howard Baldwin uh, who was one of the co-founders of WHA, who was involved in this World Football League. And uh, he said to me, we'd like to get you in the league. And I said, well, I'll take over a franchise, but I want to move it to Charlotte. That's the place. Mm-hmm. And so uh, basically, again, I only end up with the New York Stars because Bob Smurts was in financial trouble, the owner of the Celtics who owned the, the Stars. And uh, David Merrick, the famous Broadway producer, had turned down a smirch when he offered it to him for two or three million dollars. Now, that was a lot of money, mm-hmm. I think 1973, 74. So basically, I made a deal to buy them one with smirch on the afternoon, got on a plane the next day and took the whole team because they were playing on Randall's Island to Charlotte, North Carolina. Well, when I got there, you would think that I was Genghis Khan, uh, the conquering hero. I mean, bringing a professional football team to Charlotte, we sold out the place. We sold all the tickets from a motel <laughs> and, and sold out the opening game. And in, in the meantime, I was able to convince Arnold Palmer to be my partner, one of my partners in the team. He gave me a, a solid gold Cadillac that, that I rode around in town. And for two two years, everybody loved it. After that, they threw eggs at it. So, (laughs) so it it was, it was an amazing experience. Uh, 
we ended up the first night with a big party after the game. We lost to the Memphis Southland. Palmer came to it, brought all the salespeople. He had the largest Cadillac agency in North Carolina. And uh, it, it lasted for about two years, but it was one of the wildest trips anybody, I could do just a separate book <laughs> right. on, on, on that. In fact, again, uh, and, and the great take I have out of life is, it isn't how much money you make or lose, and I lost plenty, but, but basically it's the people and experiences you have. I met Ted Turner who came the only time I spent with him was three hours. He came to the office one day and he had a, a TV station in Charlotte as well as, you know, he was king of the South and he came to pitch his station to do my games. And we, we agreed to do it. And he said, listen, uh, there, there could be a problem in the NFL. He said there, there might be a strike. And he said, uh, if so, I will take your games all throughout the South. And we sat there and he's, I, I would say to the stand, met many fascinating people. He is numero uno, just, a, just an incredible, uh, interesting man. And basically he said to me, he said, uh, I'm, I'm probably in the next three or four years, I'm, I'm looking at this idea of a, of a worldwide cable news network. He said, I'm not sure they'll make it. And of course, stupid me said, probably won't either <laughs> and and that's we saw what happened four or five years later but i don't think he was sure mm -hmm. at, the, at the time that it was going to make it but there were so many incidents going uh, going on because we were doing well but there were teams failing in the league right and and i remember one time uh the jack the team in now was it jacksonville i think it was jacksonville they, they had gotten in all sorts of financial problems. The owner was Rami Loud, who actually worked for me here at one time. And uh, I got a call from a courtroom and it was the judge saying, you know, I, I can't, this team owes all sorts of money. I can't let them get on a plane and come to Charlotte and play you with all of their debt. And I said, how much is it? And I, I don't know what he said, thousands of dollars. We had sold the game out. What am I gonna do? Uh, announce that day that the game that's sold out, we already have the money for it, that the team is gonna show. <laughs> so here I, here I am with my lawyer on the phone with the judge in, in Florida. And we agreed to pay the teams way up here and also give them a game check. I, and it might have been a thousand dollars a player, something mm -hmm. like that. Right. So, the, so they come up. That that team eventually was the Florida Blazers. That team eventually went to the championship game. And Jack Pardee was their coach, who ended up being the coach of the Redskins. Great players in that league. And yeah. anyway, so they beat us. And after the game, I'm down on the field giving them their game checks. <laughs> and they're, they're thanking me after they beat us. And now I'm paying them their flight back. And the game check only, <laughs> only in America, right? <laughs> That's right. Uh, you know, it's kind of funny because I actually recently got involved a small, real small percentage, but with a uh, ultimate frisbee. I don't know if you've ever watched any ultimate frisbee. I have. 
Um, and you guys have a team up there in Boston, actually, but I just bought in a, a small percentage with the team here in Philly. And it's so funny, part, big part of the reason why I did it was because I've read, you know, books about, and I've read so many stories about leagues like the ABA and uh, uh, the uh, USFL and all the other leagues. And yeah, none of them made it, but everybody had so much damn fun. They <laughs> didn't know what to do with themselves and they've all got such great stories. And I kind of thought, you know what, worst case scenario, uh, I, I, I lose a couple bucks, but I got some good stories to come out of it. So uh, I, I suspect it was kind of that same feeling with the World Football League. Well, it was, except that that league had a chance. So I'll give you a, a couple of for instances. First of all, one, one kind of fine, final funny story. In the middle of the second year, I get a call. I think it's the FBI, but I won't swear to it. And this person said, um, we think one of your players is hiding Patty Hearst. <laughs> I said, <laughs> I said, you got to be kidding. He said, well, there's a suspicion that George Sauer Jr., who actually in his prime left the NFL because he, he, he didn't like the way the league was being run and actually ended up with us. Great receiver, wonderful person, very creative. And at that time, uh, they thought, first of all, Bill Walton was hiding her out. And then next thing I know, in the middle of all my problems, uh, I get this call. And, 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 and I've ne I never asked George about it because he wouldn't have admitted anyway. I don't think she was. But just the idea, here you are, you're sitting there trying to figure out how to keep the league and your team afloat. And you get a call that says, we think Patty Hearst is in Charlotte. Huh. That, that and the guy who tried to save the team or said he was going to save the team calls us from Tennessee, said, I'm flying up tomorrow. I see that you need more money to survive. He said, uh, I've got the money. Let me come up and meet with you. We met with this guy and I'm saying, my God, where'd they dig him up? He must be one of these millionaires out of the hills of Tennessee. Anyway, to make a long story short, uh, he was supposed to deliver the check like on a Monday. But before that, uh, he is arrested at the airport after flying all over with a couple of writers from the Charlotte News and Observer. And his, his, his buddies uh, brandishing guns. He's, he's arrested at the airport. We find out that his name is not Paul Sasso, but his name is Paul Sassone. Uh, who's in the witness protection program in Tennessee, stole a plane, came up. I mean, you'd say... This, what? Yeah, this is a true story. It was on the front page, front pages of the Charlotte Observer. And, and one, of, one of the writers there, uh, you know, detailed the whole story. But then here's, here's the kicker. So they trace it all the way back. This Paul Sasso, AKA, AKA Paul Sassone, was the famous guy that was talked off committing suicide off the Veronzano Bridge in New York by none other than Geraldo Rivera. <laughs> you, you, wow. you, you don't think life is strange? <laughs> well, the, the, in the end, the town and the bank felt so sorry for us that Luther Hodges Jr., the head of the North Carolina Bank, National Bank, uh, put up the money uh, to save the franchise uh, for, for the second year. But I, I can tell you again, uh, it was just an amazing thing. Lost mm -hmm. all my money. <laughs> uh, 
But you know what I, I said to myself, Bert Bell took a chance. And right. and luckily he had his wife, Francis Upton, bail him out. <laughs> Ain't nobody bailing Upton out. So that's right. <laughs> but but still, do you know also 40 some years later that there is still a Charlotte Hornets fan club still out there Go on the internet and see it's run by Richie Franklin. The other thing is I've outlived practically all my players and most of the coaches mm-hmm. and for mostly all my players were taken into the NFL. That's how good a job I think we did. Mm-hmm. All my coaches did. And uh, you just you just look at Lindy and Fonny became the head coach of the Green Bay Packers. Bob Gibson, unfortunately for him and John McVay at, at the Giants, where there was the fumble mm-hmm. to Zonka and uh, the cost of their jobs. But but it, it, it everybody should uh, at some time in life take a chance. Ironically, at the end, I called Dan Rooney. I said, Dan, I know you're the head of the expansion committee. I said, I think Charlotte will be a great place. And of course, it was a great place. The league went in there. They just were going in without Upton Bell. That's right. That's <laughs> right. See you later. Thanks. Right. Thank, thanks, thanks for, for the tip. <laughs> thanks. Well, thanks, too, for making the territory fertile for the NFL. See you later. Right. What have you done for me lately? <laughs> Well, you ended up you ended up back in New England and yep. ended up going on to doing lots of radio, lots of TV. Uh, did you was that something where, you know, did you have the itch to go back into the game as, uh, you know, go back in as try to go back in as a GM or try to go back in uh, directly with the game? Or did you just enjoy the radio and the TV stuff so much? And it was, you know, I, I assume a little bit less stressful uh, and decide no, to go that route. Worse. Oh, really? Worse. Okay. Worse. <laughs> you're, you're partially in the business. You're hired to be fired. In the, <laughs> NFL, in the NFL, they usually give you two or three years in radio and television, two minutes. Right. Is, yeah. is, is what, what you have. No, it, what, what I decided, what I wrote in my book was uh, the famous scene at, at the end of, of The Old Man in the Sea when Hemingway writes about Santiago who had caught this great fish. And I caught a great fish, except it bit me. But anyway, on the way back, he goes home that night and he goes to sleep. As he's going to sleep, he said, ah, but there's another day. And I said, unlike Santiago, there's not another day. I have, I have tried, uh, I have done what I've wanted to do. It's over. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not I'm not going back. I felt what it's like to be an owner and I loved it in spite of losing my shirt. I loved the players. I loved the experience, all the crazy people. We even had a chance. We even had a chance, final chance to make it. And there's a guy by the name of of Frank Pace, who you should get on, uh, who's uh, one of the inventors of of many of the big shows on television, including Murphy Brown. He was in the league with me basically, and went on to become a very famous director, producer. But basically, we had a deal to save the league uh, with Joe Namath's attorney to bring Namath into the league, which would have gotten us a national TV contract for the second time. And the dumb owners, not all of them, 
decided to turn the deal down because they thought Namath was getting too much. I said, it's, are you kidding me? It's either, it's either Namath or no league. And yet mm-hmm. it just shows you how people are. So again, right. bottom line, no. I, and, and, and again, like most things in life, it happened by accident. Somebody asked me if I was interested in doing some radio after Patriots games. And the next thing I know, I'm back interviewing the devil, Billy Sullivan again, and, and how I handled that. And, and I went on to be 40 years worth of radio and television and, and basically ended up leaving sports and deciding I want to go on a new venture, a new adventure. And uh, I left sports at the time when I could have made even more money, but I wanted to interview people from all around the world. And I wanted to do a different type of shows. So I left, went to a smaller station and ended up three years in a row being the, the named the best radio show in the middle market by the Associated Press. And from that show, Henry Kissinger, I went to the White House and interviewed George Herbert Walker Bush, Stephen Hawking, and you name it, four or 500 of, to me, the greatest authors around the world, which will be part of one collection that will open up next year. Mm-hmm. And then the other collection, which I have it at the University of Massachusetts Amherst, which really details, really Philadelphia is big in it because it goes from my grandfather who played at Penn and was an All-American to founding the NCAA to Burt Bell, of all, all the way through it. There are artifacts, including my Super Bowl ring. There you can go online, the Upton Bell collection at UMass Amherst. It's incredible. I got Burt Bell's dropkicking trophy from 1917. Dropkicking. <laughs> the, the, the pictures of him at Penn and and again just back to the Philadelphia theme where else could you go out two minutes left in a game 1959 October 11th the two teams you used to own on the field where you took your team to the Rose Bowl Burt Bell drops dead just as Tommy McDonald is catching the touchdown pass from Norm Van Brocklin and Burt Bell drops dead at that moment. Um, Unreal. It, and I read, I read, I read. He, he had actually said, hadn't he actually said, "I'd rather die at the football field, die at a football field than in my own bed." That's correct. He got his wish, mm-hmm. and and uh, it, it was sad for me. I was just a twenty-one-year-old kid. Mm-hmm. Now here's the other part of the story for Scheib and company is that was bad enough, but. Uh, three days in, as we're getting ready for the funeral, we get a call from the Philadelphia National Bank. The deal is off. My brother says, what deal? Bert Bell could be very secretive about something. I think he knew he was sick. And I think uh, he, he thought, because ironically, it said right after the sudden death game, he told the newspaper man, I, I, you know what? I never thought I'd live to see this. Six months later, he's dead. But the bank called and said the deal's off. And I said, what what the hell are you talking about? He had secretly made a deal to repurchase the Philadelphia Eagles for $950,000. If he had lived just to Wednesday, I'd be the spoiled brat sitting in the... (laughs) 
inviting you up to my box. <laughs> That's right. So it, it, it shows we were shocked. But again, I think he wanted to keep it secret because he wasn't going to tell the owners till you know, the, the season's over. But think, think about that. Life is chance. Mm-hmm. And you, you better be able to take advantage of it. But you also better be able to recover. Mm-hmm. Uh, from from that and and it was a great lesson to me all through my life i've been hired i've been fired uh i never held it personally that's the way life is right. you better grab it with all the gusto you can because it's going to be short anyway right right well uh this has been so much fun and and i've, I've so enjoyed having you on and uh yeah why don't you why don't you plug the book real quick uh, and, uh, you know, let people know where they can pick it up. I do want to see if we can get a few copies in at the store, but, uh, in the meantime, let people know, uh, where they can grab your book. Get it on Amazon. You get every. It's this third year and it's still selling big. Oh, I nice. mean, you guys at shy books should have, it. it's called president at the creation, my life in the NFL and the rise of America's game. It, you, you will read stuff in there. We've just touched on some of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but if they would get you guys should get the book. Yeah, I, I don't know whether you've carried his other book on my father's life called on any given Sunday since he invented the term. And if we were smart enough as a family would have we would own the term and and I'd be sitting here in my mansion again. <laughs> and that was written and put out by Temple University Press. OK, Bob Lyons right. yep. in the book. In one thing you're going to learn in the book. And now on my, and I'd like to uh, also promote my other website, at, which is up now at UMass Amherst, which is the collection. You can go online, Upton Bell Collection, UMass Amherst, and see all these artifacts, a lot in Philly. But here's what, what uh, one of the famous historians in the country found out, and is in the Burt Bell book, that my grandmother was the daughter of Abraham Lincoln's best friend, Leonard Myers. So here you are. I should have my big stove hat here right. and, and tell you, but, but uh, there's pictures and everything else. Leonard Myers, and, and think of, at the time of Philadelphia Society and, and my father's father marrying uh, Florette de Beneville Myers, whose father was Abraham Lincoln's closest friend. There are pictures of it. We even found letters between my great-grandfather on that side and Abraham Lincoln. That's on the website. Unbelievable. Well, thank you so much. Uh, We'll be sure we'll put the link up to the website and all the, uh, yeah, and to the book. And and, uh, again, thank you so much. We want to, we want to have you back again once we get here to football season. I know you got a bunch of, bunch more stories uh, (laughs) that you can, uh, I mean, I could, I could hang out all day with you. I'll have to, when I'm up that way, I want to, let's go, let's go grab a beer. I I always love hearing these old, old school uh, NFL stories. So great having you on. It's been a real pleasure. Uh, Thank you so much. Thank you. Johnny, uh, uh, would you, when you finish cutting it up, send it to me? And I, I, yeah. I'm taking interviews like this and putting it on the website. Okay. So we, we will, once you get it, if you will send me yeah. the links and everything, I will make sure that eventually it appears on the website. Credit you guys and we'll give all your background. 